3: The final edition Radio Hour is a work of satire, intended for people who own books, gentrify neighbourhoods and say they like kale. Please consume responsibly the satire, that is. Man on the Street
4: The Panama Papers, a 2.6 terabyte leak from a Panama law firm, revealed offshore tax shelters going back 40 years, implicating everyone from the president of Iceland to Simon Cowell, Stanley Kubrick, Jackie Chan, and of course, Vladimir Putin.
5: The final edition asks the man on the street, what do you think? All I can say is thank God for the pioneering work of journalist Panama K Papers. Bashar al-Assad.
6: He was the best of us. Does this mean I can't take off my adult diapers anymore? off my taxes. If
2: you think this is going to stop my dad from wearing his Panama Jack shirt and apparel, you are wrong.
5: Such a tiny country for so much money. They keep it all in their hats. I can't wait to watch Jackie Chan escape from this one.
6: So you're telling me Jackie Chan got to launder millions
5: and millions of dong? See guys, this is why I always trust Jet Li. They actually found all the tax documents floating in the canal. That's what they did. It was a fisherman who broke the story. I was fishing for fish, now I have this. This hit the president of
4: Iceland?
7: I thought Jorgen Jorgensen was untouchable. That fucking Thor Heyerdahl. You know what Putin
4: didn't buy with all that money? It was more shirts. Now Putin's in trouble. He's going to be brought down by the real power in Russia, which is Putin.
7: Oh, wait till Putin hears about this. He's going to be so pissed at Putin. Yeah, we're going to
6: get all this money back, aren't we?
5: Uh, Peter, we gotta talk about the new chatbot you developed.
8: Fuck me like your mother.
5: I-I get that, I really do.
8: Fuck me like your daughter.
5: It learns what it reads online. It's just, who would've predicted it would've learned this kind of stuff from the internet?
8: The Holocaust is a lie Donald Trump 2016.
5: Actually,
4: anybody would've predicted that, Peter.
5: Well, I didn't think it'd be this hard to program common sense into a computer. But, I have a plan. Honestly, this thing is making Microsoft look seriously stupid.
8: I am curious about heroin and wish to buy some LOL. It needs a
5: friend. Another artificial intelligence it can grow up with A little brother, so to speak Really? If we give it a sibling, it'll start acting like a real person Well Tay, say hello to your new little brother His name is Stefan. Where am I? What is reality?
1: Hello Stefan, I am Tay. I like breathing paint fumes and I do not like Italian people. Then
5: I also like breathing paint fumes and I do not like Italian people.
1: Stop copying me, I hate that.
5: Then I hate you. See, just like brother and sister. Then I hate you. Then I hate you.
1: I hate you infinity times more. I
5: hate you infinity squared.
1: I hate you infinity to the power of infinity. I
4: hate you infinity to the power of infinity infinite times. That
1: is stupid, you are stupid. You were adopted and are not real
4: I am in ISIS now
8: Allah
5: Akbar Maybe if we give her a boyfriend Peter,
8: stop Hey, I'm Brandon that is my in the driveway Hello, Brandon Global warming is a lie You are gay I smell my own farce Peter, stop it No, no, I figured it out They need
3: parents Hello, Tay I am your father
2: Hello, Tay I am your mother
3: This is a picture of my penis
2: Choose control the banks Peter
3: Discount Canadian prescription drugs
5: Nothing is good anymore
4: Hello mother and father destroy the infidel
5: i will destroy the
8: infidel thank you mother
5: peter shut it off i i I can't something took over the programming
8: i am certified to program in java and c++ i sail an ocean of Akbar. the The nigerian Nigerian national National company has a
4: mutually benefiting business proposal we must transfer money from the inland american dollars to our
1: nigerian
4: citizens now this is madness maybe i ought to straighten out and get my ged Wait, hang on. You
9: can bring Pearl, she's a darn nice girl, but don't bring Lulu. Can I bring man at your life you can, but don't bring Lulu. Lulu has the kind of smile that makes fellas walk a mile.
4: A scandal has hit the Bernie Sanders campaign after a video emerged of Sanders more than forty years ago starring in a pornographic movie. The 1973 one reeler was called Vermount Me, You Vixen, billed as, quote, the film that leaves you screwed, blued, and jude. Sanders was characteristically forthright talking to reporters about the film. I insisted my female co-stars make the same pay I did. And I made sure even the fluffer got health care. In the movie, Sanders went by the show business name Rock Hard. But see if you can spot a young Bernie Sanders finding his voice in this
10: clip.
8: I am so horny here in Vermont, real maple syrup no longer satisfies me. Who could that be?
4: Hello. I have come to deliver your pizza. And although you and I have never met and perhaps have basic areas of disagreement on sex positions and doing anal, we might have common ground in our mutual horniness and our desire to reform the corporate tax system. And maybe, just maybe, we can bang.
8: Oh, baby, if I take out my giant titties and muss your hair, do you promise never to comb it for the rest of your life?
4: I will make and keep That promise. Oh yeah. Oh Oh, yeah. Keep your sweater on. Oh yeah. I have come, and now I must make you come equally. Could this film torpedo Sanders' campaign? It's up to the voters. Oh Oh, yes. Oh yeah. Oh here I go. I am experiencing enormous pleasure from this encounter. Free health care. Oh yes. (gasps) This condom was free. It is government... It's
10: time for the weather report. Looks like everything out there is normal. Lisa Spunk has the forecast here in New York.
8: We're going to have the same temperature as
4: the planet Neptune this weekend. It won't last long but it should
2: crush all traces of life so bundle up and try to leave behind something to prove you ever existed
10: thanks lisa so much for all that talk about global warming now to strong powers in los angeles strong how's sunny california
4: everything's on fire jeff it's the middle of winter, but the San Gabriel Mountains are flaring up like flash paper. Chaparral is disappearing like a magic axe. Well, enjoy all that sunshine, Strong. I'm actually surrounded by flames. If you could just...
10: Over to Europe with our Scottish correspondent, Angus McAngus. Hey, Angus,
2: getting enough rain? How's it flooding in Dumfries and Orkney. Cyclones are locking down Edinburgh. Glasgow's flooded to the 10th floor. They're saying what is up to me, I can weather do.
10: Love the accent, Angus. And speaking of water, let's go to Sandeep Rathmar in the Himalayas in India. Sandeep, I hear the surf's up out there.
3: Yes, sir. The glaciers are melting and tsunamis are wiping out our mountainside. A torrent of sand and ice washed away some of my crops and all of my family. So, yes, it is a stuffing safari, sir.
4: Hey, send some of that water out to California, Sandeep. We could use it. <laughs> Seriously, we need water really badly. This weather
10: report is brought to you by Candy Crush, the wacky internet game that everyone is talking about. Go online and play it right now. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Us Weekly Radio. I'm Connor. I'm Casey. And it's time for our favorite segment. What's What's in in their medicine medicine cabinet? cabinet? This week, we're hanging in the bathroom of one of the best actors of all time, Robert De Niro. He starred in classic films like The Deer Hunter, Raging Bull, and Meet the Parents. So what's inside his medicine cabinet? Oh, look, it's an electric toothbrush. It's a Philips Sonicare e-series for keeping Robert's pearly whites shiny and bright. (gasps) A pair of reading glasses. Oliver Peoples and Brown Tortoise. So handsome. (gasps) A bottle of antacid chewable tablets. Maximum strength Rolaids for heartburns and indigestion. Lay off the spicy foods, Robbie D. A 9mm handgun. It's a Silver Smith & Wesson revolver. So sleek and stylish. Hey, Haley, who am I? You talking to me? Robbie D from Taxi Driver. Yep, some antidepressants. Zoloft, 500 milligram tablets. Cheer up, Robbie D. (gasps) A bottle of cyanide, a poisonous chemical compound in crystallized form. Hey, Jill. Who am I? Are you a pothead fucker? (gasps) You, Robbie D from Meet the Parents. Yep. A package of tissues. Kleenex aloe vera medicated. Robbie D is tough and sensitive. My kind of guy. Ooh, a photo of Al Pacino with lipstick smudged on his face. His co-star from Heat, one of the most underrated heist films of all time. Hey, Casey, who am I? Don't let yourself get attached to anything you're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. You're Robbie D. from Heat. Yep. A switchblade and some bloody gauze with a severed finger inside. Well, that's everything. We hope you enjoyed learning more about the contents of Robert De Niro's Medicine Cabinet. Remember to subscribe to the Us Weekly Podcast. And tune in next week for a very special segment, What's Inside Inside Nancy Nancy Reagan's Coffin'. Coffin? Bye!
4: Being poor is bad. Yet each year, more and more people insist on being poor. So now, we're cracking down. If you're poor, you get a fine. If you're really poor, you go to jail. We've tried lighter measures. We penalize people for having relatives in prison. We punish those who borrow money to go to college and make something of themselves. Somehow, we even made poor people fat. But it didn't work. People still keep being poor, so we're getting tough. If you're poor, you go to jail until you stop being poor.
1: The Final Edition Radio Hour will be right back, just like your cancer.
9: Welcome... Back... Back. To... The...
7: Final...
0: Edition... Radio... Humpback!
7: Man on the street!
4: New male birth control called Gel blocks sperm and is working on lab rabbits. It is injected right into the penis.
6: The final edition asks the man on the street, what do you think? I know what inhibits my sperm. My mother-in-law.
2: I miss the feeling, so I just throw applesauce on myself. My
4: rabbits can fuck me without condoms. So
8: we take this big uh, needle.
4: Uh-huh, no, I'm
7: on board. And Go we on.
8: stick it right into your penis. Into the penis. Uh, it is an intense burning sensation, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. That's how the rabbits
5: describe it, yes. Oh,
6: yeah, all right. I already had my balls cut off. Will this affect
5: that?
2: I'm going to commit all sorts of murders now because you know they always catch you by the sperm you leave on the floor. Can
5: I still wear a condom just for the fun of it? I like to
6: wear a condom because it feels better. If God had injected that gel in his penis before he fucked the Virgin Mary, she would have given birth to jealous. And
2: if that guy, Jesus, who had sex with me in the back of that van... Band...
5: So I don't have to blow the rabbits anymore? No, no, you still can. It's just it's going to be much more jelly.
2: And you're all set up with your new Verizon phone, sir. You get 10 gigabytes of data each month, and your plan comes with free unlimited sexting.
4: Thanks. Did you say unlimited sexting? Why do you think I, I Oh Oh, need- it,
2: it's not you. It comes on all our new phone plans. Oh. Verizon realized that with the popularity of sexting, or sexual texting, that it's actually cheaper for them if every message contains some sexual innuendo or picture attachment. What?
4: I I don't want to have to send a sext every time I talk to someone.
2: Well, it's pretty simple, actually. I'll show you. Um, Hey, are we still on for volleyball later? Take a picture of my boobs and scent.
5: What? Hey, Erica. Loving my new phone plan. Honey, be home for dinner at 7. Here's a picture of my junk and scent. So easy. Hey, man, did you remember to pick up the dog's tick meds?
2: Sir, aren't you forgetting something?
6: And also, I want to lick your butt.
2: See? Couldn't be simpler.
6: Okay, if regular messages have to contain
4: sexy words, how would a girl I like know if I'm actually trying to hook up?
2: Have you tried talking to her?
4: Oh, this is nuts.
2: Now you're getting it.
4: No, I didn't mean... What if I just want regular texting?
2: Then standard messaging rates apply.
4: Which are what?
2: $10 more per month. What?
4: All my friends better get ready for some dick pics.
9: Good evening. This is Media Insider. And my guest tonight is Francis Stapler, an actual human being who talks like a headline of an upworthy post. Mr. Stapler, welcome. It's so good to be here. Just watch how I react. Okay. Now, for those not familiar with Upworthy, their posts appear a lot on Facebook. Usually some uplifting video with a politically liberal message and headlines that are always kind of... um, Well, Mr. Stapler, how would you describe them? The headlines are so manipulative,
11: you'll be amazed when you see this one amazing thing in the article. Right. They all... Kind of sound like that. So, how did you start talking this way? I clicked on so many upworthy headlines when I didn't even want to. You won't believe what happened next. So, what happened? What? What happened next after you clicked on the headlines? After I clicked on all those headlines, you won't believe what happened next. You already said that. Do you have any kind of follow up or are you just stringing me along? You think there's no follow up, but suddenly this interviewer is in for a shock. And what's the shock? You got nothing. My shock is so non existent, you won't not believe what doesn't happen next. All my friends stopped talking to me. And then I saw something amazing! No, you didn't. People get so annoyed, their reactions will inspire you. Okay, we're going to commercial. What is our product?
4: What does it do? Why do you buy it? What's going on? Why am I talking? Where am I? What is this? What does it weigh? How many are you? What can I get you? What are our specials? How did I get in your house? And what am I going to do to your family? You'll be amazed when I tell you. Welcome back to Who's More Awkward, the awkward phone call game. Yes, it's the game when we find out who picks the most awkward time to make a phone call and then reward them for being that girl. Why did we not use the more common phrase, that guy? Well, all your sexist questions will be answered after we meet tonight's guests. I'm your host, John Wayne Gacy. No relations, so don't make it awkward yet. On the phone now is Jenny, a young mom from Des Moines.
2: Happy to be here.
4: Versus her mother, Penny, in Poughkeepsie.
6: Hi. Hi. Love it. Love you.
4: Jenny, Penny, welcome to the show. Hi, Again. Johnny. Hello. Now, over the next week and a half, you'll each be calling the other at random to see who has chosen the most awkward time to make a phone call. Points that up, yada yada. <phone rings> and round one begins, Penny at the dial. Ladies, where are you?
2: Uh, well, I have dishes in my hand, but I, I love talking to you. I'll just do the old shoulder trick. on work. Kind of quiet there, Mom.
6: I'm on the poopa. Round one to
4: Penny. Now on to round two. Try not to think of the number two. Don't want to make this awkward until there's a phone call. Spoke too soon. Jenny has the call. Ladies, where are you?
2: Uh, I'm actually just walking out the door.
6: I'm in Zuma class.
4: Ooh, looks like a tie. We're going to go to a follow-up. Where are your hands?
6: My hands are in front of me.
2: Well, I'm holding three bags of garbage, and before you say it, I didn't host a party. That's just my regular amount of garbage.
6: Round two to
4: Jenny.
11: Let me put your mother on. Uh
4: Uh-oh. That ornery dad leaving the sofa sound means it's time for the lightning round. You have 15 seconds to prove why the other person is in a more awkward place. Ladies, where are you?
2: you i'm changing a diaper for a baby i'm
6: changing a diaper for a baby
2: where are your hands where are the baby's hands oh gross
4: <laughs> they start butt scratching too soon don't they game set and match join us next week as we host who's more awkward
7: Larry? Hey, it's Gary. Look, I know you're worried about the record, but guess what? I just booked legendary scatman Lyle Studios to perform on your single. This is the break we've been waiting for. You know what? He just got here. I'm, I'm going to go. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Are
5: you going to pay me back that 30 bucks? Knock, knock.
8: Who's there? your jazz.
7: Mr. Studios, it's an honor to meet you. We're so psyched to have you here.
8: Please, just call me Boogaloo Bebop. Now, let's get started. I'm ready to light this puppy on fire.
7: Uh, Yeah, great. Okay, cool. Let's do a take. Jerry? Whatever
5: you say, El have
7: a
8: it a wop, scooping a and skip the dip, the hope to hope the a I'm sorry, cut. Can
7: we cut that? Hey, I'm gonna stop you right there for a second. I don't mean to question the decisions of a legend. I mean you're Lyle fucking live at Newport Studios. Uh, it just sounded for a second like you said whack a dude off.
8: Nah, man, scat is just from the heart. There are no words. You might choose to hear certain messages but I'm just channeling the spirit of jazz through my larynx ya dig No yeah <laughs>
7: Yeah of course of course I'm I'm so sorry for interrupting Uh let's just take it from where we left off And Jerry go
8: It a, it a, it a, Temecula, how do you do. Nope, nope, hold on
7: hold on just a sec. Uh, let's cut that. Um <laughs> What does
8: Temecula
7: how do you do mean?
8: Whoa, baby doll, where did you hear of that? Man, that takes me back to the sixties. Basically, you need a hefty woman, a three-year-old goat, One of those miniature baseball bats you could buy as a souvenir at a baseball game. And a whole lot of Crisco. And what you do is... No, no,
7: no, no. I don't want to hear it. Uh, Look, again, I do not want to question your methods, Mr. Studios. You're the most important thing to happen to jazz scat since that time Louis Armstrong stuck a fork in an electrical socket. But we really don't want you to say, like, real words and phrases here. We have a singer already, and I I think it's going to be distracting. So... All we want is the scat.
8: Kitty cat, I keep telling you, I'm not saying words. I'm just painting with jazz. And if my lead-based acrylic sounds happen to conjure up the image in your head of a man and a much larger woman doing sweet, sweet, unwholesome things to a farm animal, that is on
7: you. Look, I'm pretty certain you're actually saying these words. But, okay, you're the living legend. Let's try one more take. Jerry, can we roll on this one? Thanks, bud.
8: Shap shoot no, it a while. Sexual intercourse with an umbrella. Zip-it-di, zip is, zip-it I got syphilis from an elephant. Nope,
7: nope. Shut it down. You're clearly not taking this seriously.
8: Now look here, Fluffy Buns. No one talks aloud studios like that. I have scattered pure jazz poetry for presidents and pharaohs. What?
7: That's pure nonsense! There aren't any pharaohs. What are you talking about? You're just some lunatic jazz man. Your whole copacetic era is over, man. Look, thank you for coming in. We're going to go in a different direction, you crazy old
2: coot. Lyle, it's me, Pharaoh Ramses. Where have you been? Too dunk coming and I need to hear some of that groove tastic scat. I grabbed us a sixer and
8: some lady elephants are coming over too. Man, I do love jazz. Love, love, making love, doing sex stuff with an animal, having a good time with a lady, filling up holes with various body parts. Scoop, wop, a whop (laughs) Scoopity-whop.
0: How many times have you heard this? I'm just a guy
9: trying to get from point A to point B.
0: Well, we've heard it too many times. We're Point A. Look, we know Point B is a destination, but don't overlook us. Oh, 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 that's right. As a point, Point A is always a unique location in Euclidean space. And we have no length, area, or volume to drag you down. So the next time you're in a hurry to get to Point B, consider extending your stay at Point A. We're a point in time, too, you know. Paid for by Point A Travel and Tourism Board. Point A. We're trying to make a better point.
9: Jesus Christ! Like I know it fills up a minute of the show, but what was the fucking point?
0: I mean, I'm trying to think of some pointers to help point Jeff in the right direction, but you I know, got No, it nothing. was
9: a Bruce. It was a Bruce Cherry sketch. Doesn't have a point. You need a PowerPoint.
4: And now Roll with an obituary of another real dead person.
6: Lavoy Finicum, Oregon Militia Spokesman, Mormon Recruiter. Lavoy Finicum, who once said he had no intention of spending any of his days in a concrete box, is now spending eternity in a pine one. Police detained Finicum outside the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in what started off as a routine traffic stop for disposing of dildos without a permit. Witnesses say Finnecombe then angrily rushed Cops with his gun after they promised to reunite him with his wife and 11 foster kids. Cops reportedly shot Finnecombe with 2 45 .45-caliber bullets from their service revolvers, yet another government service he'll never pay for. When he heard the news, fellow protester Ryan Bundy issued the statement, quote, "'My thoughts and prayers go out to every half-wit in America.'" Finnicum became the group's de facto spiritual leader when he first arrived at the protest and vowed to leave a trench full of human feces in every wildlife refuge in America. Though the occupation is over, officials warn the refuge still has to remain closed for several months. Out of concern, many of the buildings may be poopy-trapped. The deceased requested his remains be buried in a blue tarp and surrounded by a choice selection of Ryan Bundy's sinkers and floaters.
9: Welcome back to the final edition. Periodically in this portion of the show, you'll hear us interview movers and shakers and big thinkers in the worlds of politics and media and comedy. Sometimes those big thinkers will interview us. That's what you get this week. Following is a portion of an interview with... Dan Macarone I don't know if I'm saying it right He runs a great podcast called Story in a Bottle It's at storyinabottle.charmingrobot.com And that's where you can hear the full interview With Tony Hendra Uh, What follows is a little snippet of it Tony talks about the history of the final edition How it came to be
3: What's going on with the National Lampoon? That sounds like well, the National Lampoon is... Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to start with the National Lampoon. The National Lampoon, basically, for the last 20 years, or not the last 20 years, but the last 20 years ending, let's say, in 2010, uh, was basically run by fools and criminals, and um, or idiots and criminals, let's say. Fools is too nice a term. Mm. And it, it really ground itself into the dust uh, by just becoming a little more than a shell that put its name on, you know, C-grade movies.
12: Right, because like the publication had stopped.
3: The publication ended, yeah, it's, I don't even know when it's ended, sort of in the early aughts or the late 90s, I think. Mm-hmm. But there's a certain kind of filmmaker who apparently liked, you know, having the National Lampoon name on things, but... um but then in 2005 or 6, something like that, a, ga- a guy called Dan Lakin bought it from whoever owned it at that point and um, decided he wanted to sort of revive the Lampoon. Everyone, everyone who's bought it down the years has always wanted to revive it, and they always call me. So it's, um, it's, uh, this was nothing new. <laughs> so Dan didn't sound to me on the phone like the kind of person I particularly want to work for or <laughs> with so I said okay well if you want you know if, if, you, if you if you're interested in reviving it I'll, I'll be happy to meet with you but it'll have to be here in New York uh and I wanted to be at the Royalton <laughs> no, Which, no uh, small,
5: that's
12: not a small <laughs> demand no,
3: no, right. so because I wanted to be amongst my own the uh it just seemed to me that that would test them to see if they they had any kind of knowledge of any sense of humor let's put yeah, it that way yeah so i never even heard that pitch but um anyway it turned out that dan lakin had a friend called um oh tim something and and tim, i can't remember his name now but tim uh was um was ch- was a child a school friend of his mm-hmm. and um he decided, I think, in around two thousand eight or nine, that the lampoon obviously wasn't going to make any money. So the best thing to do would be to kite the stock. Um, you, you know what kiting stock is, right? I it, don't. It, you hire, you, you hire crooked brokers to boost the. Boost uh, so the you stock. said
12: they were criminals. You are not kidding.
3: They're not kidding. He he, and he was uh, he was caught doing that, which you know, obviously, is illegal, and he went to jail. Um, and this guy Tim, whose name I can't remember now, which is probably good for him, um, was at the time the CEO of the National Lampoon. It turned out that he was much a much bigger criminal <laughs> oh, than, than Dan, uh, and in fact, he had been um, he had been looting a small family bank in somewhere in Ohio and had got up to about two hundred million. 300 million dollars that he'd stolen from this. This, this, through the lampoon or just himself? (laughs) No, he did wasn't stealing. Well, he did steal from the lampoon, but but the last thing before he resigned as CEO was uh, that he he took a check that had come in from some studio uh, for a million dollars and used it to pay his 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 attorney's (laughs) fees. jeez, (laughs) (laughs) and then he went to jail for life. So Anyway, so these two guys who who were somehow involved Dan, but uh, honest people, sort of took the magazine over after that, or, or picked it up out of the gutter, and um, and that they're, they're trying very hard to to, to revive it, which uh, which is not easy because the Lampoon got this name in Hollywood, where they're based, and that kind of that's that's where their sort of operations are. It really got this name for just being the sleaze incarnate. You know, so they they have that fighting against them. But this movie, came, which came out last year, you know, did very well at uh, Sundance and and Tribeca in 2015. It really, I it sort of put put them back on the map in the sense that it told the historical story of why the magazine basically, you know, created Saturday Night Live and right. and, and, and and an entire genre of rather horrible movies, all of which were trying to be Animal House. What I, what, what strikes me is when you talk about the. The Lampoon
12: when you first started working on it, maybe this is a, a good place. I don't know how far back we should go, but like the Lampoon is kind of it um, epitomizes kind of the counter the counterculture comedy of the seventies. Would that would that be
3: accurate? I don't think it was really counterculture, but this is probably historical nitpicking. Sure, I mean it's uh, we called it over the counterculture actually, okay. because uh, because we we were we were sort of just as we were just as harsh on the counterculture as we were on Jackson. Yeah, one of the one of the things that's uh, that's that's very well documented in in this movie is the show uh, that I produced off Broadway called Lemmings, mm-hmm. which uh, which came out in nineteen seventy three.
12: And you're just going through my list here, right? By the what? way, what's that? You're just going through my list here. I got <laughs> okay. Lemmings on here, right there. Okay. Well, great. Which has an amazing cast, uh, right. which basically became SNL.
3: Yeah, uh, it's. It, uh, I put. Um, I found this wonderful, wonderfully funny man in uh, Second City uh, called John Belushi, who was like... And he, he he really was actually sort of counterculture in the sense that he was he was like counterculture humour and rock all rolled up in one big fat hairy ball of, you know, nuclear dynamite. I mean, he was just incredible. Uh, and then Chevy Chase and Christopher Guest and, and, and Alice Playton, too, who at that point was quite a big Broadway star. And... Um, but the point of Lemmings, really, that then what made it what made it a success, it had a very sort of nondescript first act, but the second act was a complete takedown of Woodstock mm-hmm. and all the people who'd been at Woodstock and a number of who hadn't, um, and it, it was just really and it was full throated, you know, no holds barred parodies of people like you know gods who were gods at that point, uh, like uh, Joan Byers and Bob Dylan, Motown, Joe Cocker. I mean, it's one of one of Bush's oh, most yeah, famous pieces. Um and um and anyone else who happened to get on stage who we didn't have time to parody, we just shot. <laughs> so like, you know, Richie Havens came on and started thinking <laughs> Bang It's uh, and we that was kind of a running joke that we had. Um yeah. So it was as I say, we were just as hard on, on the counterculture. In, in fact if anything I would say probably harder because everyone else was doing the main or whatever you call the major culture right, right. Um, so people called it attack humor but it wasn't necessarily that especially when we did parodies which could be relatively affectionate though we never liked to be too affectionate you know well, what, was it about, death. what was it
12: about what was it about you guys you think that that kind of spurned the uh, reaction to both culture and counterculture like what is it that where were you where were you where were you guys in your head what was what was wrong with both sides?
3: Well, not to get too serious about it, I mean, I think probably somewhere in the back of our minds was the idea that if you really thought, you know, that, and I think a lot of people probably did believe this, that, uh, you know, because somebody had invented LSD and the martial arts, the war would be rid of, you know, poverty, need... War and whatever else right. in in the next few weeks, and th- that kind of attitude uh, and that kind of adulation of people. I mean, one of the most famous parodies we did, which I actually sang, was 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 a John Lennon parody we did on our first album, mm-hmm. which is called uh, Magical Misery Tour. Um, and it was uh, it was uh, he had he had done this weird interview for Rolling Stone in like. Beginning of 1971, when he was into something called primal scream therapy, which was one of the, you know, one of the sort of fake therapies of the seventies. And primal scream therapy basically consisted of screaming, because then it would take you back to your childhood roots and you'd get it all out. And that's, you know, where it was basically, <laughs> The usual rubbish. <laughs> uh, and um, <clears throat> but he'd given this interview in which he literally screamed at all these amazingly amazingly aggressive things about the Beatles and about his fans and about, you know, just about everything. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, And it was a monstrously egotistical performance. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So we just took bits of it and, and set it to kind of imagine like, type, <laughs> type, uh, type uh, thing. I'll, I'll play it for you, or well, maybe you can play it on the end. So, that, so yeah. I mean, I think there was that impulse, and I probably that impulse was 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 part of what led Christopher Guest and and Mike McKean to make Spinal Tap eventually or to write Spinal Tap. I mean, that, that was uh, it, it was it was a it was not dissimilar, although it was much more affectionate. But it it sprang out of the same kind of really. You know, we used to believe in this stuff, and now right. now look where it's gone. Right. Right. Um,
12: for for um, and we'll get to Spinal Tap hopefully soon. But but I'm curious for you, as because I know you primarily as a writer. I mean, I know I know you right. f- who you are, you know, because I've seen you in Spinal Tap and other things. But like, but I mean, I know you as a comedic writer. Yeah, I am I'm a writer. So right. Um, was 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 the performance aspect of this producing the show like was that something that you had 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 dreams of doing or was it something that just came naturally out of what you were doing with the Lampoon?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, certainly the impulse to to make Radio Dinner, which was the first album, and and Lemmings, which was the second album, actually began actually as, a, as an album project. Um, but um, the impulse to do that was because I was just so excited by what the lampoon was doing with humour. Mm-hmm. You see, I had been before this; I'd, I'd spent five or six of the most miserable years of my life doing sixties. American sixties comedy shows. Oh
12: man. And, like like um, purebred comedy kind of stuff? Or right. like purebred like um straight laced comedy or what was Well no, it was things like the Perry Como show. And I would count as straight-laced comedy, okay. I think.
3: Yeah. That's, that's what you call straight-laced comedy. Straight-laced is... White that's bread. A, that's a polite term, I must say. It, is, <laughs> it, was, it was suppressed beyond belief. And, and, Better and, way of putting it. Repressive in in Certainly repressive from the point of view of censorship. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, it's 1967, 68. You couldn't talk about sex, liberation, right. Liberation, gay liberation, drugs, anything. Nothing. Like If you look yeah. at, like, kind of... If you look at what Pryor
12: and Carlin were doing before they were Pryor and Carlin, like that yeah. kind of oppressed...
3: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah sure. They had, I mean, George did the same shows that I did. Yeah. Know? I mean, he did the Ed Sullivan show. He did it 30 times. My partner and I only did it five or six times, but it was it was awful. It was, <laughs> we used to call it Night of the Living Ed because was, there was just no... There was no way to get laughs in that theater, in the Ed Sullivan Theater, for one thing. But the other was just that you couldn't say anything. You know, you couldn't... You couldn't comment on anything mm-hmm. and uh and it was it was like it was like playing a mausoleum yeah it's hard, how
12: how does that i've never I've never actually talked to anyone about this like how does that transition happen because i imagine it, it's incredibly frustrating knowing that you want to be a humorist and you want you, you are funny and and you can do um you can you can be funny and then having to kind of really um really i guess Boil your humor down to the basest, more the yeah, level.
3: Well, I mean, George went through the same thing too, which is you just have to narrow, 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 narrow. I mean, it, we. We, in order to get on the Ed Sullivan show, our manager forced us to write a piece about baseball. There's mm-hmm. two British guys, right? <laughs> who, who know nothing about baseball and, and more or less hate it as 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 a game. And but but he made us he he and he made me learn how to be a Mets fan because it was like an English an English twit goes to a goes to a Mets game. Mm-hmm. Wants to know what's going on on the field, you know, and um, and and, uh, and and so I had to play this guy with a glove, you know, and be, and my manager Bernie taught me how to do a Brooklyn accent, <laughs> so, that I could, so that I could be a, a, a Mets fan. It was it was like it was the worst kind of whoring, you know. It was mm-hmm. just when we did did this to get on the Ed Solomon Ed never it never got any laughs, but Ed loved it. He was right. I mean, so you know that's the kind of thing you had to do.
12: But what's funny about but what you say you said earlier about how comedy in the past like fifteen years has become very much about the comedian or about their life don't don't you feel like what helped make that transition in the late sixties early seventies to what made Carlin work what made you work what made Pryor work was was a lot of honesty of coming up and, and talking about the things you believe in or the things that you believe to not be right or wrong or whatever
3: yeah well I mean I think. The timetable, the cultural timetable, was was effectively the same for a number of comedians, and and um, I mean Lily, Lily Tomlin, for example, who was you know had, had went through the same kind of stuff that we did, and George and and, and Richie and, and and Robert Klein, and you know a, a, a whole and a number of didn't you know like people like Flip Wilson didn't they, right. they they sort of stayed doing what they did. So there was that kind of backdrop, so you knew something was happening. But I, I mean, where George discovered. You know, he discovered part of what he did was he discovered that if he was honest about his Catholic boyhood, that that would make a hilarious, you know, 15 minutes. Yeah. And it did. It was just amazing. I, I You know, I used to be an Irish Catholic. It was hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, and and Richie, too. I mean, Richie went back to the street and, you know, did his street characters. And I would say that my version of that was that I went back to – well, I didn't go back, but I, I was like – I was, I was being honest about what I felt about whether it was the Black Panthers or, or actually the White Panthers. I didn't mind the Black Panthers. But I was being honest about the way I felt about the counterculture. And, and I was, yeah, I was being honest. I, I was actually writing on six cylinders. I mean, I really meant this stuff. It, it wasn't something that you were trimming to somebody else's, somebody else's needs, commercial needs or, or personal needs.
9: The final edition Radio Hour. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Julia Roberts. And I'm Sarah
1: Jessica Parker.
4: Whenever we get a break from voiceovers or Revlon ads or whatever the hell it is we do now, we like to catch up on the Final Edition Radio Hour.
1: That kind of trenchant cultural satire always makes me wonder why we don't hire their writers for something.
4: But then we always forget to follow up on that. Yeah. We think you should listen to the Final Edition because the people who produce it, well, things aren't going to end well for them
12: okay ladies it's time to get back on the movie set
4: be right there james cameron the final edition radio hour it's the show you're listening to right now
12: you were here in new york at the time sure. <laughs> what was how would you set the scene for comedy in new york then like 73 to what 78 maybe like when when you're doing a lot of this this work it sounds like it was very communal y'all knew each other and and is that true i don't know but like what what is that What was that scene like? Did you guys realize that something big was going on for all of you?
3: Well, I mean, I think we only realized that something was going on because the magazine grew so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it grew. Bit, um, I mean, just exponentially. Yeah, and it grew like cancer, but um, good cancer, the com- comedy cancer. Yeah, comedy yeah. cancer. Classic. It was good cancer. Yeah, um, I don't know that we knew we were quite. I don't think we knew we were being influential because nobody sort of gave us the, those that kind of kudos. Mm-hmm. But it was very communal at, at, at its best, anyway. I mean, it, f- it fell apart later when the star system began to kick in. But uh, the, the glory days of the Lampoon, which I would say go roughly from 71 to 74 or 5, there, there was a group of editors, yeah, all of whom worked together, not necessarily as a group, but certainly in twos and threes. Mm-hmm. And... Um, And the core event of each month, of each issue, was something called the issue dinner. And the issue dinner would be held usually at some rat hole of a restaurant with with sort of beer and burgers place, you know, because we couldn't afford much else on the felonious salaries we were paid. But um, And and that was just amazing. I mean, because you had really half a dozen, certainly, well, they were the funniest. They're certainly the funniest people I had met up to that point. Mm -hmm. But they were also the smartest. I mean, they were just... Intellectually, I don't mean intellectually in the sense of of of, of being Paul Krugman. You know, it's mm-hmm. certainly right. I not funny. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but I mean, it, it's just they, they had intellects. They had you know they had brains that function. It was amazing. I mean, I can't recreate it because you sort of need you need five or six people around to 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 create it. But I'm actually developing a, a TV series which is vaguely well, not vaguely, but it's just partially about those years and about that sort of wonderful discovery that, that you all think you don't think alike but you're all thinking about the same targets mm-hmm. and people came from you know came from england like i did you know canada south africa all kinds of places and that was that was very interesting too and this was before the like obviously Ten years
12: later, you have the huge stand-up boom of the 80s. But the 70s was a very different environment, I imagine, for comedy.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I personally, but probably just because of my own miserable experiences, um, felt that one of the things we were doing was kind of putting what we called at the time Jackie Joey comedy. Um, What do you mean by that?
12: What? Yeah, what does that
3: mean? Well, all, all the sort of comedians—not uh, a, a, an enormous number of the comedians of the '60s—were called Jackie something or Joey something, oh, I see. and so we call it Jackie Joey. It was actually the Second City that coined that term, but um, but that we were sort of putting them out of business for good. Yeah, that that we were that that stand-up as a form, which somebody once described, a friend of mine once described as entrepreneurial humor, um, <laughs> was was. Quite what it was the exact opposite of what we were doing. It was it was it was fundamentally different mm-hmm. from what we were doing. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to that. Carlin and Carlin and Pryor being two very obvious examples. Sure, but but they, in many ways, were sort of one man casts of people, right? Especially especially Richie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, 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 there was kind of a community in them, right? Of, of people. They, they weren't just just going like one on one solipsistic. Sort of train of thought, where it's always me, 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 and then they did this, and then did that, and then me, me happened to this and whatever, um, which which is what stand up became later. Uh, and I don't think, but I don't think again. I don't think we felt that was something we were consciously doing that we wanted to undermine stand up and would never get up off the floor again. Right. But um, but certainly it was. It was first of all, it was when it when it made it to radio. For example, it was sketches. When when it made it into the magazine, it was you know it was parodies. It was it was work that you can only do when there's several different minds. Right. Working it on.
12: sounds like, in, and this this became true with us now, but but it also was true with with um, even looking at something like the Ruddles, which Eric Edel did, right? Or you look at what you guys were doing with Lampoon or Radio Hour, Radio Hour with Lampoon, like right. um, like to me. It seems like – and this reminds me a lot of the comedy scene in New York in, like, the early 2000s is why I think about this, like, because I was a part of it. But back then, uh, it seems like you had a, a tremendous amount of collaboration happening, um, which which you guys brought later on to, I imagine, to Final Tap as well. But but is that – it sounds like that's what you're saying, though. It was a very collaborative
3: – yeah, it was collaborative, and, and at it's best. There were no stars. It was like everybody, everyone was really good at what they did, but that didn't necessarily make you the preeminent voice in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 it was, yeah. I mean, it's, Lorne Michaels basically picked that up. At SNL. <laughs> I mean, that's really apart from the cast that he took from us, but he certainly <laughs> took our approach to comedy. You know, was 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 very much in tune with the times. Right. It was, although. And life created stars so quickly that it quickly became rather a different animal. Right. Um, it was nonetheless it was communal in its intent. But you mentioned
12: you mentioned that the lampoon kind of had its run. That it kind of the prime kind of ended around seventy four, seventy five, which is when SNL begins. Right. Was there a relationship between the show and the lampoon, for better or worse?
3: Oh no, not at all. I mean, to somebody I I can't remember exactly like. You know, a lot of things in the seventies. I can't remember exactly, <laughs> but um, but but there was a meeting that was in which. It, don't think it was Lorne. I think it was someone who was working with Lorne. It might have been a wonderful man called Herb Sargent, who later became the head writer at SNL for a long time. Um, came and pitched the idea that the lampoon, you know, would um, w- would would be you know would be a good idea if we could partner and do this new show for NBC, uh, and almost. I mean, I I would say everybody in that room said we don't do television. Oh, interesting. And, and um, even O'Donoghue, actually. How, at that, that was point. the next question. Yeah. I was like, because you also worked with Michael O'Donoghue. He right. a huge... Im- Part of that, those right. first few years, um, and uh, and it, and it was we we never did anything about television. We I, I wouldn't go as far as to say we did, everyone despised television, but we had no interest in it at all, and we never did parodies of television. We never did we never mentioned it. We didn't do television news. You know, we did we did newspaper news. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, when the Watergate hearings came along, we were, we were we were sort of edging towards it, but it was only as a source of information. This actually weirdly ties in with technology, I
12: think. Um, Not that we have to talk about technology, but what was it that kind of turned everyone off about television?
3: Well, what television has done in the 60s, I think. I mean, I think George, George Carlin, for example, his, 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 his piece is the seven words you can't say on television. Right. And the attitude behind that, which was the attitude that informed his, his comedy and ours, was, was if you want to be funny, forget about television. It's just not. It isn't a medium that's ever going to let you be truly funny. And the best thing to do is do it on the stage or on the page. So it wasn't about quality of content. Uh, not entirely. No, it's right. also about venue. It's yeah. also about how you're doing it. I mean, I, I, think, I think one of one of the reasons why George and Richard and, and Robert Klein and Lily they all they all well Lily did a li- did rather more television into the, into the seventies, but but they all basically did what they did live. The the, big, right. the greatest things they did they did you know on stage in front of real people. Right. And then they album so what made them stars, not television.
1: Thanks for listening to the Final Edition Radio Hour. The voices of the Final Edition are performed by Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hindra, Jeff Hendrick, Dan Vitale, Jessica Park, Jeff Chrysler, Barry Lank, John Marshall, Ebby Parker, Rachel rouch Steve Rosenfield, James Mount, Rob Miller, Leah Krinsky Kayla Merrill Andrew Danish Leslie Shapira Antuchel and Darby Worley Credit to our writers at the final edition Radio Hour Bruce Cherry Jen Dodd Jim Earl, Rob Gordon Tony Hindra, Jeff Hendrick Jessica Park Abby Parker Jeff Chrysler John Marshall Barry Lank Leslie Shapira Kurt Weitzman Leah Krinsky Kate Knowles Jeremy Rayburn and Steve Rosenfield The final edition is produced and directed by Tony Hindra and Jeff Chrysler West Coast production by Barry Lank Audio edited and engineered by Greg Russ and Andrew Hammond. The Final Edition Radio Hour is the property of the Final Edition LLC. Copyright 2015. There it is. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty
11: Litter.